Hello, and welcome to another episode of Playing in the Sandbox, Conversations in Pedagogy. My name is Katherine Troyer, and I am delighted to once again be joined by Lauren Malone. Hi, everyone. been working our way through various ways that you can incorporate games, be that game-based learning or just actual like board games or gamification in your courses. And this is our third episode really diving deep into one of the sort of prongs that is game-based learning or gamification. Lauren, for people who may have had a chance to forget what has happened since our last couple of episodes. <laughs> what else have we talked about? Um, so we talked about gamification in terms of turning your entire class into, into a game. Um, and so we talked about the different things that go into that um, component, such as leveling, roles, narrative, all that good stuff. Um, and then our last episode was on uh, games for learning, which is the incorporation of Games that are already made and don't necessarily have to do with your course content, but the game helps the students practice a certain skill set or a certain um, play out a certain concept. So today we're going to be talking about serious games. So how do serious games differ from games for learning. So when we talk about games for learning, generally that means like you are in a communication class and you play Forbidden Island. Forbidden Island has nothing to do probably with the concepts of rhetoric and media and persuasion and whatever else you're talking about in your comm class, but it probably allows you to practice those concepts in terms of negotiation um, and that sort of thing. And so when we talk about games for learning, that's what we're talking about. The incorporation of a game that is not content driven into the classroom. When we talk about serious games, we're talking more about the games that are actually developed to be content driven. So games that are in a confined gaming space, which means either, um, you know, physically you're going through a game in a space or um, it's a specific website or application that you're using. But these are the ones that are used to teach content. One of the things that I think it's really important and I'd love for you to kind of elaborate on to think about is that serious games does not mean serious as in we can only talk about things that make you sort of depressed or it doesn't count, right? Correct. Yeah. So so when a lot of times when we think about serious games, we do think about the the sort of uh, traumatizing, I guess, aspects of our, our different fields and like how do we have a simulation that teaches us um, as, for example, healthcare professionals, how to deliver bad news to a patient, right? And we do have those. Uh, we have plenty of those, but it doesn't necessarily have to be those. So you might also have simulations for healthcare professionals for, say, nursing students who talk about that talk about how to cheer up different age groups of children if you're working with kids in a peds ward or something like that. So it doesn't necessarily always have to be the the sort of hard hitting 
um, hot topics in our fields. Uh, you will see that a lot though, but it doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to only be that. So serious games is really just games that are incorporated into a learning experience. And the seriousness part is that the contents we should be taking just as seriously as we do the content we read in a textbook, Mm -hmm. as opposed to again, like Pictionary where, you know, the content of Pictionary is probably not going to be that thing that like keeps you up at night as you're pondering, like, why did I draw an apple the way I did? <laughs> yeah. uh, whereas a lot of serious games are about thinking about the the principles, right? Because the principles are very serious, even if we're playing with them. Yes, exactly. So where would you like to go next? Do you think it's better to talk about some examples of serious games or do you think it's better to talk to talk about something we've mentioned in all of our episodes? And that is just the importance of like transparently building in connections to serious games. Well, we can give a few examples. I mean, we already talked about the one and then I think that connection, it, it goes hand in hand with that. So we have the examples of having a simulation for, you know, nursing students um, or playing through a specific part of history in your classroom, sort of live action role playing, um, something like that. A very well-known example is, is reacting to the past, yes. uh, which comes out of Barnard, which What's lovely about that is that they've developed all of these modules for you. And same with same with most like nursing simulations, like no one would have to to start from scratch on any of those. People have built really robust simulations already. Uh, So that's that's a nice aspect about some of these serious games. Yeah. And you have serious games that like sort of help you. practice a skill in a fictionalized way. So if you are uh, studying anatomy and you have, you don't have, you know, something to dissect right in front of you, there are uh, serious games that are sort of developed for that. But I think the, the really important thing about using serious games is because everything is so connected to the content in sort of this really in your face way that the that it's not in the other sort of forms that we've talked about sometimes it's easy to forget that we still do have to make the connections for our students so you know when you're when you're in a in a communication class and you're playing a game like munchkin right we already know that the students are going to be like why the heck are we playing munchkin in this class and we have to make those okay. connections but if it is something like you're in i'm trying not to only use communications as my example <laughs> but if it is something like you're in an econ class and you are playing monopoly um a lot of times that's where we we kind of think well obviously the students know why we're playing Monopoly. It's, it's, it's right there. But I think it's still important that we have that moment of reflection and those moments of metacognition, because you want to be able to not only have the students understand why, but understand the different ways that the game applies to the content and the different things that they should be looking out for as they play the game. Because that's one of the benefits of having something that is connected to the content. I think about the fact that, you know, especially with, with role-playing simulation type games, uh, when we when we forget to build those connections, I think what can happen is that all of us, uh, students, but also, you know, anyone who's having a chance to, like, act out a role or a character, it can be really easy to get sort of caught up in, 
and the the potential ridiculousness of it, right? So if you had somebody whose uh, job it was is to act like an irate member of a cruise ship, right? They might get really excited and really into that character, but if the point of that serious game is to think about the case study of how having a global pandemic affects a global economy, like the cruise lines, right? You you don't want to lose sight of, of that, right? And I, I think it could be really easy, like you said, despite the fact it's much more explicit, how it connects to the content in the moment of play for students to sort of forget why they're supposed to be playing the way they are, right? And why they're supposed to be problem solving the way they are, how they're supposed to be incorporating the content they've been learning in the lectures, the discussions, uh, the readings. And I think that the more we can model that behavior, the better, because that's really tricky, right? That's the hard part for me is that, you know, it's so easy to take clinical learning, but when you are applying it out, right, when you're in the ER as opposed to in the classroom, right? Like it's a completely different world. And so you need to be reminded of how to pull back, right? How to pull back on your knowledge and apply it. Yeah, absolutely. And there's a couple of ways that we can do this, right? It's the same as as with any of the other types of game-based learning that we talked about. We can connect it with our course objectives and we should connect it with our course objectives. But this is an area where it's really important and really, really impactful to connect it with student experience too. And so, for example, if you have a game where um, your, your simulation is soil identification for geosciences, um, you know, we know that we can connect it really easily back to our course objective of students should be able to analyze soil samples for X, Y, and Z, right? Um, so we can connect it easily back to that, but it's really good if you can connect it to any type of real student experience that they've had um, in this class or previous classes. So saying, okay, when we played through the simulation, these were the variables that the game gave you. What do those look like in real life and how is real life different? Because real life is not a game. So if we were doing this for real, or if you had made the mistakes or overcome the same challenges, in quote unquote real life, what would be our consequences, our outcomes, what are the things we should think about there? And that can lead to some more really robust conversations as well. Some of what we're describing feels a little bit more like it should be called serious play as opposed to serious games, because it's, it's more about, you know, being in the space where failure is expected and having opportunities to have explicitly sort of put over the rules and the structure. So what would be the difference then between, I don't know, something like having students read out lines from a a theatrical production versus having students read out a scenario in a simulation? Like what makes one a game versus the other? Or how do I make sure that I'm engaging in, in serious games and keeping that game part sort of at the forefront? Yeah, that's a great question. So I think the I think the cornerstone of that question is probably the idea of agency, right? So if we get like, if we were to get a script um, or if we have a textbook that has lines from a certain scenario in, in our field, um, we could have the students kind of read it out and, and role play as the people and just say the lines out loud. 
Um, and in some cases that might be beneficial to what you're doing in your class as well. But I think when we're thinking about serious play or serious games, the issue is agency. So that's where you're giving the students the scenario, but they have to put themselves in the shoes of the people that were in it and try to make decisions as if they were that person. And in your, your scenario that you're acting out, they're the ones who are coming to the table with the problem solving or the other concepts that you're trying to um, get across. And then you get to have the conversation afterwards, connecting it all together of, okay, this is what actually happened in that case study or in that scenario. This is what you all picked to do or, or the things that you all acted out. So let's talk about all of this sort of in connection with the bigger theory that we're talking about in class. I like that. I, I think that's really very important. And I think it is important because when I think about like just incorporating agency, I feel like I have an easier time scaling that smaller than when I'm just thinking about like, you know, bring in something that's going to be a simulation or bring in this really sort of big thing because like reacting to the past, I mean, they have, they have ways that you can run it. So that's all you're doing for the semester. You were not doing anything else Mm -hmm. and they have smaller ones, but there's quote smaller ones are still like week long or more investments. But what you just described is something that, that can even be akin to, okay, we read this play, you know, the history of, ancient Thebes. Now I want for you to answer who would you have voted to condemn, right? Mm-hmm. And it's it's not elaborate. It's, it's certainly not um, perhaps the most eloquent way of having a serious game, but, but there's still that sense of agency. There's still that sense of to teach the content of, especially if this was like in a philosophy class or in a law class, right? To teach an understanding of the principles that we've been working with. It just seems like it can be scaled much smaller than I think most people probably worry that mm-hmm. serious games uh, will take. Because I, I guess the word serious just makes me think like it must be serious. So I better do it for weeks. But that's <laughs> that's not what I'm hearing at all. Yeah, no, the scalability of this is is probably, I would say, up there with the fact that the content is there in your face. One of the benefits, because, yeah, it can be something that is as small as okay, for the next 15 minutes, we're going to hold uh, an ancient Roman Senate meeting (laughs) and y'all have to do X, Y, y'all have to figure out how to do X, Y, and Z, right? And see what happens. And then you talk about it. Um, Or it can be as big as like the entire class for the span of this entire class, we are doing, you know, whatever it is. Um, And then that begs the question of, you know, what, where is the line between serious games and gamification if you are doing it for that whole class period. And one of the things with this is it's, it's, there's overlap with all of these. Um, And so there, there might not be a line in your class, depending on how you decide to do it. It might be um, gamification full scale, but it's a serious game. Um, And so uh, if you're getting caught up, if anyone listening is getting caught up on the, okay, do I do this one or do I do this one? Um, rest assured that there's enough overlap where as long as your uh, game elements are solid, you're going to get the benefits from it. I, I think another place where people can get kind of stuck is is that they may be hearing particularly serious games. So I think games for learning is a little bit more, you know, like you have to bring the game in. There's, it's, it's a little clearer that that's what you've been doing. But 
I think that there have been several movements recently in pedagogy that are forms of serious games, just maybe not called that. Mm -hmm. We're not pushed quite that far. So I think in STEM, our tendency to now employ case studies as a, as a very viable method for covering content instead of just having it be in the abstract. Case studies are, I think, making a step towards serious games. I think often they need to be pushed further because, mm -hmm. like you said, there's not always that element of agency. There's still sometimes too much of a, like, a right or wrong or not enough for time for people to have to, like, really think about their knowledge and apply it uh, in a very concrete way. But case studies are moving or can be moving in the direction of serious games. So I think another place people shouldn't feel stuck is if they are just hear this word, this phrase, serious games, and they're like, oh, but I'm not ready for games games. I'm not ready to have prizes and winners. And that's, that's <laughs> not uh, what we're talking about here. But I, I do think it's helpful to remind people why why that word game is a an important part of, of the label of serious games. So you mentioned um, elements of, of game design, right? Mm -hmm. What are some of the things that it's just helpful to remember a game should have, particularly if it's going to be a, quote, serious game? Good question. So I think the other thing, and this goes back to one of the big things, it goes back to your question about what's the difference between just reading reading lines or reading a case study and having a serious game is also the objective. So there has to be an objective if you're going to call it a serious game, because if you are just reading, reading out or, or acting out a scene, right. Or reading out a case study and each person uh, reading has a different part of the case to play. The objective is to get to the end of your lines, right? But if you have, if you're making the step into serious games, then that's when the agency comes in and that's when the students should have something that they're working toward. So if you are doing something like the Roman Senate thing, uh, it's not reading out, you know, X, Y, and Z historical figures, uh, speeches. It's all right. If you were, you are now transported back in a time machine, what would you do if this happened and this came up and this came up? And they have to bring that to the table themselves based on what they know about the time period and that sort of thing. So they're, and, and you're getting them towards, you know, you have to persuade everyone in the Senate to vote in favor of your whatever. And so that objective is what turns it more from just reading or just reciting and into that game. That's so, so important. And I, one of my favorite things every time you talk about that sort of idea of objectives is that that's what makes games fun. That's what make game, what makes games challenging too. But what makes them fun is that there are these very clear constraints, rules, and objectives. And more importantly, they're articulated at the beginning, right? I don't think I've ever enjoyed a gameplay experience where I didn't, I had to go into it not knowing the rules or the objective. Uh, it always reminds me though of the like Calvin and Hobbes uh, cartoon strip, you know, where they have that game that's always changing. The yes. rules are uh -huh. always changing. And like, I know people are always like, that's what I did all the time as a kid. And, and I'm like, oh, that sounds terrible. Even if I think about as a kid that just like, I like to know what the objectives are. But we often, I think, forget to do, to front load our 
lessons, right? We may put it into our prompts. Here's how I'm going to evaluate this assignment. But we often forget that a class period, a learning experience should also have a clear, here's your objective. Here's the, the thing I want you to get out. The other thing you talked about a little bit earlier that I just want you to elaborate on, we've mentioned it in our other episodes, but I don't think we can mention it too much. And that was, you talked about, and once you've had a chance to go through this, be it a simulation or a board game or a narrative game, then there is this moment where you were building the connections through acts of reflection. Would you talk some more about the importance of, of building in reflection into our serious gameplay? Yes, absolutely. So um, I think that the the reflection time, again, is the time for those connections, but it's also a little bit of time where they get to think about their own process. Um, and I think this is especially true with serious games, because when you have games for learning, if I'm in, if I'm teaching my digital media studies class and we play Munchkin for whatever reason, um, then that's not really process, right? Because you're playing someone else's board game. But when you have serious games where the focus is the content, they at least get to think about how they are problem solving. And that is really important. And so um, I'm going to use a different example because we've been talking a lot about simulations, but uh, that's not the only type of serious game. So if, um, we just went through a conference called Playposium and one of the speakers there made a game called Snouts and Tails, which is their veterinary medicine take on chutes and ladders. And it was adorable. And it's a board <laughs> game that their students play. Um, but in that, the students are, I believe, identifying different animals in different situations and different um, methods of care. And so the, the content being right there in your face, when you step out of the gaming situation or the gaming space, then you start to think about, okay, I know I was just playing this game and I was just trying to get to the top of the board, but here's why I made this decision. Here's why I made this wrong decision over here and that sent me back down to the start. What would happen if I had made that same decision in an actual situation with um, an animal that I was caring for? And so when we build in that reflection time, especially with serious games, we give the students the chance to really think about their process and think about it um, in a low stakes way. Because when we do things like case studies or even when we do field work, labs, those sorts of things, uh, the stress level is up because it feels real, right? And the, the benefit of games is the abstraction or the, the fictionalization of the situation where they know there's a level of everything's going to be okay because we're just playing. It's just play. And so stepping out of that and getting them to reflect, uh, it feels less less like there's something on the line. Listening to you talk, again, I can't help but think about the fact that that we encourage this type of, of play frequently. Any class where you ask your students to build a prototype is is asking them to engage in it's it's different, right? Because it's not it's not quite gameplay in the same way that, that some of these serious games are, but but it is still doing many of those same things lowering the stakes, but making the objective clear, asking them to to have room for failure, to have room for exploration, to even often, especially in prototyping, to put themselves in someone else's shoes. You know, again, I would not count writing a draft of a paper as serious games. It is not. <laughs> no. But 
the the principle behind that right being in that space where you can see well what happens if what what does it look like when you know these are skill sets that we we want our students to learn and these are skill sets that our students need to have right students are often asking themselves like how does how will this apply to my life as a veterinarian yes i can now name all the bones or i can identify the snout or the tail but like how is this going to apply very explicitly and what you just said is that it will apply in that moment of reflection because now they understand how do i think how do i understand how to, to apply the information i've learned again in this more more um traditional setting into the quote real world which will have unknown variables and maybe a time constraint and lots of different things being thrown at me at, at any given time and i just i think constantly about the difference between like naive learner versus an expert learner and you know the james lang talks about this in small teaching he says the difference is not actually how much more content they have it's their ability to understand the connections between different pieces of information. And what you're describing is a really effective way to help our students transition from, from naive learners to expert learners. Mm -hmm. What else would you want people to know about serious games? Uh, it doesn't have to be complicated and it doesn't have to be expensive. So I know that some people listening probably keep hearing us say simulations and they're thinking, you know, a, a computer game that's got, you know, full POV point of view where you're walking <laughs> through the halls of the hospital and you're oh performing surgery digitally. And like, and there are those out there if you have a very generous departmental budget to buy those, but it does not have to be that big. And so, um, so obviously talking about the, the sort of role play where you give your students uh, a scenario um, but also you, you can do things like snouts and tails where you, you develop your content into a board game that they play. Um, but I think there's also a really a lot to be said for narrative games, um, which if you've ever played, uh, or, or read a choose your own adventure story, it's, it's sort of the same idea. Um, in fact, my students are making those right now <laughs> in my <laughs> class. Um, but it's it's that idea of choice, that idea of agency. So um, putting that scenario into this narrative game where the the objective is to get through a situation, right? So one example that I have is in my face-to-face -face class of business comm, I would do a crisis communication day where we, I would uh, reserve a bunch of library rooms, one for each of my businesses, quote unquote, um, each of my groups, and for an hour, just stress them out with problems going wrong with the PR in their business. And so they would get to work and everything would be all hunky-dory. And then in the, within the first 15 minutes of class, I would send them some catastrophe, like their music artist that signed to their label got caught at a concert saying something offensive uh, <laughs> and people are boycotting them. Or they, uh, one of their trainers was being inappropriate with a student and now parents are threatening to pull their kids out of the training complex or whatever it was. Um, and every step of the way through class, every 15 to 20 minutes, there's a complication that makes the problem worse. And mm -hmm. there's usually something that has to do with social media thrown in. So I get to have fun making fake social media accounts for them and all of that good <laughs> stuff. So 
it's great. It's so much fun for me, at least they're stressed. Um, <laughs> but, uh, the issue is when I'm teaching business comm online, I can't do that. Uh, and so even pre pan pandemic, um, I, I taught some online sections and that was one of the things that I really missed. And so I just used twine, which is, a free open source game engine that all you have to do is know how to write a story to really work. And I turned crisis communication day into a game, into a narrative game where you play a character, they even get to enter their own name. So it's really personalized and the character gets, you get to choose which company you work for at the beginning. And they still work, work through the exact same storylines that they would if they were there, but they're choosing um, pre-configured options rather than doing it on the fly for themselves. So I think that took me a couple days to put together just because I'm really extra when I build games. Uh, <laughs> but, but it was totally free. And after two days, I had a game that I can use in further classes um, that I have and that, that has the concept of crisis communication at its forefront that they get to grapple with and try and make good decisions on. Um, so yeah, so it doesn't, again, have to be something that you're paying a lot of money for, or even that you're spending, you know, hours and hours and hours of time on. Um, it can be something that you put together just based off of what you're already doing in your classes. And again, I can't stress this enough. There's so many serious games out there that have already been designed yes. that you can also go and see what resources people are willing to share. Some of them do cost, like reacting to the past is more or less, I think, a business now at this point. But there are others that that people will be like, hey, I made this thing. Use this thing. Share it with others. Uh, and, you know, that I think is a perfectly great way to bring more serious games into your classroom. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much for listening to our discussion on serious games. This is going to conclude our, our three episode arc on, on gamification, game-based learning, and sort of the different aspects. But of course, if you have questions about any of these things, you should reach out in order to Lauren and then to <laughs> me. What are we going to talk about next? So next time we are going to have some fun talking about syllabus design and all of the different ways you can possibly do that. And that may be the first and only time you will ever hear fun and syllabus in the same sentence. <laughs> but hopefully by the time you have finished listening to our podcast, you will at least not dread it. Thank you so much for joining us.